nervous? <laughs> no. Where's your answer? Dennis Beckham, let the ball out! Dennis Beckham! Dennis Beckham! Dennis Beckham! Dennis Beckham! Oh! oh, no! Oh, yes! He missed it! Howdy, and welcome to the Suffering from Joy podcast. I'm Devin. We're here to discuss a little bit of a retrospective on the U.S. Uh, World Cup efforts in 2022. And we're going to do some looking forward. So, yes, we will talk about the Greg question. Don't worry. Um, joining me today uh, are Seth. Hey there. Seth, I hope you're doing well. And uh, Braden, who you can follow on Twitter at TFA Braden. Hello again. All right. Well, it's over. We can actually sit back and enjoy some of these nice World Cup games now. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I had a great experience in 2018 not having to watch the U.S. at all or worry about them or are we going to score a goal against Iran? And it was nice just kind of enjoying the event for what it was and had some good games, some less good games so far. We're recording this on the, the last day of the knockout stage of the round of 16. But, Seth, uh, what are you thinking U.S.-wise? U.S.-wise, I mean, we did what we were supposed to do. We got out of the group stage and... I mean, I guess it's weird. My predictions were right. We went draw, draw, win. And I don't think I went on the podcast with a prediction for what I thought was going to happen in the round of 16. We'll go with that. Um, <laughs> I know what Seth's yeah. prediction was, but we'll we'll not shame him here. No, but it's, it's, it's all fine. And that this team, if you had told me before the World Cup that, hey, this team would get out of the group and lose to the Netherlands 3-1 in the round of 16, I'd be like, eh, that sounds pretty feasible. So we did the job that we were sort of supposed to do. Yeah, we kind of touched about this on the instant reaction, but, like, it was fine pretty much the whole World Cup. Like, uh, the Simpsons have a word, meh, uh, that I think kind of describes this this whole World Cup experience for the U.S. What are you thinking, Braden? Yeah, to to use, uh, like, employer review language, it's a solid, like, meets expectations. Satisfactory. I, I yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> I don't think we did necessarily did anything great this world cup although there were flashes and those flashes are exciting and something to hold on to uh, as we go into the next cycle but if you take the overall performance like i think it has to be um, met expectations yeah and um i think we compared it before to sort of like if you're a big premier league watcher it's like qualifying for the europa league or or similar it's like yeah you kind of did the baseline and it's not bad but uh let's talk about some bright spots uh, for me, definitely the first goal in us actually like taking the game to teams, even if it was kind of first half or maybe we didn't do it the whole game, but it wasn't like the plucky U.S. sits back and absorbs a bunch of shots and, you know, maybe gets lucky on a set piece or something of old. Like we were better on the field than um, most of the teams we played. Uh, Braden, what's your bright spot? Yeah, I pretty much agree with that. For me, it's kind of just the ability to play technically with these teams. Because like you said in the past, when the World Cup had been around. And, you know, I was, it was interesting because Facebook Memories was coming up today and I saw, th- like, remarks about uh, the World Cup group we had in 2014. as like Portugal, Ghana, Germany. And just, like, it took me back to those games and how those were, like, try to get a goal and hold on for absolute <laughs> dear life. And these games didn't feel like that. We were much more aggressive, much more, you know, trying to take the game to the other team. And we had players who were more technically capable of doing it. If I had to pick out one spot, the sprite spot, it's got to be the midfield though, right? Like I, I really enjoyed seeing those three, you know, as a unit working very, very well together and just being kind of the key part of us being able to hang around these games. 
Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. I mean, like, we have a midfield of the future. Like, this is, I mean, we've harped on this many times already, but this is a young team. I mean, we have a 23-year-old captain who handled himself immensely well. Yeah, he was exhausted by this. And I, I think one thing we did sort of underestimate in this tournament, even with so many guys that are now playing in the Premier League, playing in the Bundesliga, getting into the top leagues, where they're playing two matches a week, that those clubs all have the depth. And Leeds, let's face it, is not playing two matches a week at this point. They love to make Europa League, but I think just surviving would be good for Leeds at this point. But getting to a reality there of, like, these guys are not used to playing. I mean, we look at it. The U.S. played, especially because we played the late kickoff in the group stage, and we played the early kickoff, I mean, still 6 p.m. local time. But we played four matches in 12 days. like, And having the midfield go out there for 360 minutes, at least two-thirds of that, not really getting subbed off, is just, I mean, yeah, they were going to be exhausted at a point. And I think one of the things that we'll have to build up for 2026, and we don't exactly know what that format looks like yet, it's just going to be, okay, we are about halfway there towards having a side where it's like we trust every single person on the pitch. And I think the goal for three and a half years from now is to be like, we are really comfortable having all 26 of these guys on the pitch at one way or another. And I think that's the goals and aspirations. And we've done a good job of setting ourselves up for that. One way or another. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder too, like uh, we didn't sub early in games. And I mean, there are millions of reasons why that was happening or not happening. And we played the three man midfield every game. And I know we did in the, the actual preview for the world cup, we kind of suggested maybe, for the England game or maybe for the Iran game, or at some point you maybe switch and only take two of those midfielders to give Weston or someone a break. And uh, obviously we didn't do that. Uh, hindsight's twenty twenty. Maybe we should have, um, we can do the Aronson. We can do the um, Reina thing. Maybe they should have seen more time. Um, but I mean, is there anything kind of broad brushstroke you want to say that you were rather unimpressed with Seth? Sure. Um, I mean, I would have loved to see a healthy Luca De La Torre in the signup. I mean, yes, he was on the squad. I mean, double check me, but I don't think he played a minute of this World Cup. I don't. And think so. uh, there were was that? I don't think so. Yeah, I, or at least I don't remember him. I mean, I'd have to double check there. But I, I, the fact is, if he was healthy, the way that he was able to effectively change the Honduras match at home during qualifying was really impressive. And just being like, yes, the MMA midfield is great. However. Kellen Acosta can come on for set pieces and shit housing. And you know what? Kellen Acosta's yellow card against Wales is the most bad. Like, he did his job. Like, Kellen Acosta did what he was supposed to be there. None of the other backup midfielders in this, I mean, some of them didn't get a chance, as we've talked about. But it was getting to a point of, like, we need more midfielders. I mean, at a certain point, like, I want to see someone like a Gianluca Busio. I mean, he's now in Serie B at Venezia. But, like, have him go through an Olympic cycle. Have him go through other opportunities where – we can feel comfortable playing six to seven midfielders in a World Cup three and a half years from now at home. Yeah, I like that shout. And also just the flexibility to, if you want to overload midfield, like maybe you want to go to like a four diamond two or something like that and play with kind of four more central guys to get complete control. Like we need a few more guys who are able to do that. And I think that's kind of the key thing of, the U S team right now is just, we have a good, will we, will we say like 13 or so we feel real good about. And then after that we feel, okay, we'll, we'll see if you can get on and do something, but it's a lot shakier. So I, I do think that rounding out some of those slots is going to be a key thing uh, for the next cycle. And 
Um, getting a few more guys kind of at the level ready to compete. And I think there's some exciting guys coming up as well. Like we talk about a young team, but even through the pipeline, you've got a guy like, um, you know, you mentioned Busio uh, playing over in Italy now, but even, you know, closer to home, a guy like Obed Vargas at Seattle, like, if he keeps developing, keeps playing, like, I think he could be a real interesting, like, energy piece to add in there. And um, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Like, I, I think we've got a few guys coming down the pipe in a few positions that will be very helpful to this team. I mean, I'm really looking forward to seeing Brendan and Paxton Aronson playing together. Like, I think Paxton Aronson going to Frankfurt is going to be really great for his development. And he probably won't see much of the first team in the, the next year, but having him in an academy that's really strong, getting minutes with the B team there and being able to build his way up through that system is something that has me really excited for the future. Yeah, totally agree. Braden's jumping on that uh, Miles Robinson, uh, Austin trustee, the process uh, future center back pairing for 2026. Chris Richards is only 22 years old and would have been at this World Cup if he hadn't been hurt. Yeah, that would be great to have three center backs we could rely on and uh some with pace some that can run uh, well i guess they all have pace yeah but you know what like i mean i want to give a shout out here tim ream did one hell of a job in playing every minute of those four matches and looking as good as he did at fulham we gave him obviously predating this podcast but i'm sure all three of us gave him a very tough time at points where yes i know he's a st louis guy but like he had looked like his prime had passed and what his form that he had given there i got to give credit to us soccer for calling him back into the side and being a rock of this side and playing really really well at this world cup yeah i was happy to just see him in the squad but him playing and playing well for every game was was definitely a huge boost at least for me, he was my both surprise and probably the U.S. player of the, the tournament. Um, I don't know if you guys feel differently or have anybody else that you thought was really good uh, that you want to give a shout-out to as far as, like, the whole four-game setup. I, as a surprise, yeah, I've got to go there with Tim Ream as well. Like, I, I think, like, that that's – if if there's another answer, like, it's probably wrong. Like, it, <laughs> it's Tim Ream. Um, for guys who stood out to me um, – it's tough because, and for me, this was more about like the close moments. Um, but I, I thought Tim Way had a good tournament. Like I, I thought that you know you talk about being like a knee offside, <laughs> like just just barely being offside. And what could really given us a chance to coast a little more in that Iran match? And you know, I think just if we could have made some of those subs, gotten you know, McKinney and, you know, possibly Tyler Adams as well off earlier. Like maybe we're talking about a little bit something different against the Netherlands, but, you know, it didn't happen. But there were a couple moments and, and even him like just taking that shot against the Netherlands that just like the volley out of nowhere that, you know, hit it slightly different. Maybe it goes in. Um, but I, I thought he had a good tournament overall. Uh, and I, I'm excited to see how he continues to develop. Yeah, and I thought we could have done some more creativity, at least with lineups. I understand kind of you you had this setup and it got you through the group stage and you want to stick with it. But even when we were doing those um, basically three match day qualifying rounds, we would basically play an entirely different squad in day two than we would days one and three. Um, so I think Wea maybe moving him up top uh, would have been an avenue where we could have moved that around or uh, playing Aronson in midfield or something like that. Um, but to Seth's point, like that was – a lot of games in a very short amount of time. Um, but yeah, way is a good choice. Seth, anybody else you want to, you want to talk about? 
Um, I mean, we've already given uh, Tyler Adams a shout out, but I think he absolutely deserves the captain's arm bad for his performance. Yeah, he was worn down by the last game, but I think he did a great job there. As we go through everything else there, um, I would say, I mean, Jedi obviously got um, roasted a bit in the Netherlands match, but for, again, playing almost every minute of the four matches there looked really strong, and that's another area where I think I would have personally liked to have seen a little bit of Joe Scally either on the left or the right. He's done a little bit of both for Gladbach, even though he's more normally on the right, and especially because Des didn't finish any of the four matches. I would have liked to have seen him get a little bit of playing time here, especially as we're building towards the future. And I think he could have done a better job defensively. But like, we really relied on a system here where we effectively had three true defenders in the system. And I know it's weird to consider Tyler Adams a defender of sorts. But, like, really our center backs and Tyler Adams were our main defenders because Jedi and Sergio Dest were playing so far forward. And it's one thing if you're Liverpool and you can put the have enough possession, enough pressure to consistently do that. But the U.S. were good, but we're not quite that good yet. And it's just going to be interesting to see if, like, having some fullbacks that can also defend really well is going to be essential to have this team succeed in the Copa America and in the World Cup moving forward. Yeah, and a lot of the time, too, when you see those teams with those, you know, I mean, they're basically wingers um, that you're playing your fullbacks as, especially, you know, Trent Alexander-Arnold, you kind of mentioned. Um, they have pacey center backs, and uh, we mentioned it on the preview. Like, we, we didn't have a pacey center back because ours, uh, he did his knee and was it March or something, and, and didn't get back in time. Um, but, I mean, it's a way to play, and I, I, I think they showed promise. I'm with you. I would have liked to have seen some Joe Scally or I, I mean, maybe even a little more like Kellen Acosta, like uh, we kind of mentioned, just um, something. I don't know where to go from from here, but uh, who who is a disappointment for you, Seth? Um, I would say, I mean, speaking of, on the Joe Scally position, Shaq Moore did not look good in this World Cup. Like, Ooh, yeah. Like, it was dis- – like, he was the one player that – oh, no, I say two, him and Jordan Morris. But Jordan Morris didn't – in his, what, 15 minutes on the pitch between two matches, didn't really do much of anything good or bad. Like, Shaq Moore missed some key passes, missed some key markings. Like, Shaq Moore should not have been on this squad and is the only person that I feel confident about saying. It's like, or maybe Jesus Ferreira, but honestly, like, I don't think you could have excluded Jesus Ferreira in favor of Pepe. Like, I, I get why Halter and Ernie Stewart did that. But it is you, you start looking through this, but yeah, Shaq Moore. I mean, he's a perfectly fine back for MLS, but is not at the national team caliber. No, and I mean that's pretty much why he came back to MLS, isn't it? Because he couldn't. I mean, he, he was in the Portuguese second tier, right? He was he was over at Tenerife um, in the Spanish okay. um, second division, and he couldn't okay. cut it over there. And if you can't cut it over there. Um, in the beautiful Canary Islands, or Canary Islands, as some people would say. Um, I don't think you're, I mean, he's doing an okay job at Nashville, but he's not even, I mean, without, without Walker Zimmerman, I don't know where that back line even is. Yeah, uh, I, I think you took the easy one, um, Braden. Anybody, you kind of went, and by the way, I did, uh, uh, Riley and I do crazy predictions before every game, and my uh, Holland one was that we will see Jordan Morris in that game. Uh, and as oh. we all know, um, I hate when I'm right. So, Braden, who else was uh, um, not exactly lighting the world on fire for you? It's it's a little tough because I, I don't know how fair uh, this is because we knew it was a weak spot coming in. Um, for me, it's going to be Haji Wright, and it's not just the play necessarily. It's At also the goal of the tournament, the... man. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
at Bubakar for that one for me, 100%. Oh, yeah. um, but but um, it's some of the decision-making, uh, too. Like, I, I referenced it in the Iran match when we did the um, instant reaction, but just the, uh, like, the decision to not take it to the corner and also not, like, put in a real attempt on goal. Um, yeah, pick one. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, but that, and even in that match before, there was a chance to play Aronson through and he just, like, didn't do it. I thought he was kind of, anonymous isn't the right word exactly against England, but just uh, didn't give us enough there. And that's not so much of a slam on him because I don't think any of our center forwards, like, really, quote-unquote, gave us enough outside of, I, I think Josh Sargent played very well against Iran specifically. Um, but I, yeah, it's Haji for me. Yeah. I'm going to kind of piggyback on that. I was going to say the striker position generally, and I don't know if that's a a tactical thing we kind of hit on before that, you know, they're kind of playing the certain way, but, uh, the more we watch this tournament too, like almost every single team that's doing great has like a pinpoint striker. And so I think watching this tournament has just magnified um, both externally and how other teams play and how not good our strikers were that this is a huge problem we need to absolutely fix in the next four years and um, I guess let's get into our I guess uh, we'll, we'll do one more point and then we can get into how we're going to fix it all but um, overall grade um, Braden you know you can do out of 10 you can do letter grades whatever you want to do um, and we'll just piggyback off of that what would you grade the overall U.S. performance? I'll do a letter grade of a C plus. Um, I think it gets the plus because we did have moments that I thought were really, really strong. And kind of the way we got out of the group was a little more impressive than I kind of thought it might be. Um, I I know, like, you can say, like, what are you talking about? You only, you know, scored a couple goals. But I I thought that the the ability we showed there and and the football we played, I I enjoyed it. Um, So, I'm giving a C plus for that, but at the end of the day, it is, like I said, really just meeting expectations, so can't do better than that. Hey, we got out of the group better than uh, we got, we qualified in, um, so I guess you can say that's improvement. Seth, what are we uh, grade-wise? I'd give us a B here. I mean, maybe I'm just involved here, involved in education in my day job, and there's too much gradeflation in this world. <laughs> but um, there's, I mean, we, we did what we, we met expectations. We did what we were supposed to do. We looked like, and I think we got, I mean, the way we played England, we played England really well, all things considered. I mean, we obviously had some opportunities to win that match. But, like, I mean, look at what England did to Senegal. Like, the fact that, like, if we had somehow won this group and gotten into that match with Senegal, I don't think we beat them 3-0. But, like, this is a team that actually, like, they went out and, I mean, England has scored 12 goals in this World Cup in three matches, and they scored nothing against us and didn't even have a great chance. I mean, I think Gareth Southgate made some mistakes in that match. I mean, how Phil Foden didn't even see the pitch is sort of beyond me in that game. But going through this world, like, the U.S., like, Berhalter came out with some really good strategies for some of the games. He came out with an absolutely awful one for the Netherlands match. But, like, hey, he hit it three out of four. I mean, that's better than most international coaches. Yeah, I don't know if I'd quite go three out of four because there were some some tactical issues, especially later in the game with subs. and. Yeah, no, I, 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 would, I would talk about initial game strategy. Yeah, no, I, I think his sub uh, management um, is um, something that can be improved upon. Yeah, um, so I, I actually was going to say B- minus before you guys said it. I'm not just uh, playing the middleman here. Um, it gets above a C-plus because of the way we played 
um, it gets down to a B minus instead of a B because we still have those same problems that we knew were problems. Um, I don't think we were flexible enough in almost any game. Um, our in-game uh, adjustments were not great. Um, I, and the England game kind of gets me above a, a C as well. So um, roughly a B minus average. I think we're all kind of saying about the same thing. We're just using different words and different um, assessments on the scale of how we get there. But uh, we need to win the World Cup in 2026. How do we get there? I'll let you lead us off, Seth. We're not winning the World Cup in 2026. Um, I think we can get much. I think this is a team with a core that can be capable of a semifinal appearance, doing something like what Korea did in 2002. I don't see, even in a a three-and-a-half-year period, even if you lure Pep Guardiola away, if you have everything go... Yes, if all the perfect breaks happen, this team could win a World Cup. But, like, I don't see that happening. I think a realistic target for 2026 is a semifinal appearance. Okay. Um, we'll do the obvious one. Do you, I will wait till the end of the World Cup. Do you keep Burhalter around or are you telling him to go find an MLS job? Um, I think actually Burhalter would have more success finding a job um, coaching in Northern Europe than he would in the MLS at this point. I mean, as of today, there actually are no open MLS jobs with um, the crew signing uh, Wilfred Nancy from South Montreal. But there's a, um, it's an interesting world. I think Greg Berhalter is not the biggest problem with U.S. soccer. I think he's the he might be the third, but I think the number one problem right now is Ernie Stewart. Ernie Stewart, when he was the sporting director in Philly, did not let Jim Curtin run a system that he wanted to run. If you look at what the Philadelphia Union have done since Ernie Stewart has left, oh, they have made it to MLS Cup this year. They made it to the Eastern Conference Finals the year before that. They've had flexibility to run a system. And Ernie Stewart is a large part of the problem here. And the board at the U.S. Soccer Federation down the street from me in Chicago needs to get rid of him before they do anything with Greg Berhalter. Greg Berhalter may very well decide he doesn't want to continue on this job and coach a club. And I think he's probably a better club coach than a national team coach um, to begin with. But Ernie Stewart and being so rigid, I mean, Chicago is a great city, but like the fact that all of our youth coaches have to live in this city, you can't even play out their soccer four to five months of the year. I mean, I was just walking home in 38, 39 degree weather, and that's warm for December here. This is like, let us take advantage of all of this country and all of our expats with American ties. Let's figure out a full system here. And it seems like U.S. soccer is still further behind where they need to be. So my answer is that Greg Berhalter, yes, could he be replaced with someone better? Sure. But our biggest problem right now is getting rid of Ernie Stewart as the technical director of the Federation. Okay. I think there are a lot of other overhauls too, like just a U.S. soccer as an org as well. Oh, Um, I don't disagree at all. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of us, you hear this sort of like, line that it's like oh people just complaining about u.s soccer and mls and that's part of it um and that's i'm honestly amazed watching mls that um some of these guys are as good as they are and i'm happy mls has grown as a league so um we don't have to deal with that problem as much and if we do it's it's usually at least um for this roster we went through and looked at it and said okay if there's an mls guy well for the most part he deserves to be there or the person who would be competing with him is another mls guy um little quibbles here and there but that's roughly the assessment but like mls is way better than mls was four or eight years ago but the quality of play in the league is has dramatically improved is it where it needs to be no 
But like MLS is not what is holding back this team. It is a federation of like looking at this. I mean, our team did an amazing job of reflecting the diversity of our country, but yet we still don't have enough. I mean, think of how many Latino kids are playing, Latino boys are playing soccer in this country, but yet aren't being connected. If you're not connected with an MLS academy or another direct U.S. soccer pipeline, we are missing out on millions of potential kids that could crack this 26-man lineup. And I think there's there are some grassroots efforts that are doing great work in this space, but there still needs to be more that can be done to make sure that we're fully developing a type a talent pipeline that it's never a question that we want to get to a standard in this country where, oh, making it out of the group stage is obvious. We can do that with the with the kids and adults that exist in this country. We just haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. And I mean, we need to be at a point where maybe getting to a quarterfinal or so is expected. You know, the U.S. has never won a knockout game against a non-CONCACAF opponent. Like, we need to rack up some of those and and announce ourselves on the world stage. And I think that for me was the biggest gut punch about that loss to the Netherlands. It wasn't like we lost or we didn't play well or everyone looked tired. It was, Hey, here's a chance where even if we lose, we can show, Hey, we can play this game. We can play it. Well, we're not just going to bunker in um, and we're going to take it to you. And we know what we're doing. And we just got tossed around and, and out coached. But I agree with you. There were much, much, much bigger problems with Greg Berhalter. What do you think, uh, Braden? Yeah. Uh, so to not go like too far in that, like I, I agree that Berhalter's not the biggest problem in U.S. soccer. Uh, it's my personal opinion and a very strongly held one is that uh, national team managers should only get one cycle, basically, unless they get to the final of the World Cup. And uh, I mean, obviously, Berhalter didn't do that. So uh, to me, it's time for him to go find a, a decent um, European, hopefully, uh, managing gig and. You know, hopefully he can continue to develop as a manager. Like I, one thing I'd like to see us do maybe in the U.S. is not not put the next like hot name into the national team position, but instead like go the Jesse Marsh route, and and you know maybe it's not like Red Bull route or anything like that, but go manage in Europe and, and kind of work your way up a little bit there. And I think. You know, at some point, I hope it's not this cycle. I hope it's the next when Jesse Marsh, I do think, will get this job at some point. Um, I, I think he'll be a better national team manager for it and be more ready to make these kind of in-match decisions that we really, really lacked, especially against the Netherlands. And I, I, so, I don't know. To me, it's going to start with with a kind of complete overhaul of just how we go about uh, hiring a manager and that probably hints to kind of what uh, Seth was saying about like whether it's Ernie Stewart I I don't personally have that strong opinion I, I don't really you know I, I I don't know how involved he is day to day like with with all of it really like I know technical director is you know title but there's you know there's levels to like how much power <laughs> different guys have so um I but if you told me he was a problem I would yeah, it makes sense, um, especially when you laid out uh, the Philly um, stuff as well. So I, it all needs an overhaul. But like, if we're talking specifically about Greg, I think it's got to be time to move on. And I hope we do a little bit more comprehensive of a coaching search this time. Yeah, and I mean, you touched on one of these things that I don't think gets talked about enough. Like we always say, oh, players need to go to Europe. They need to, you know, learn 
um, European patterns of play. They need to learn European styles, um, greater technical ability. Yeah, 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 yeah. We could do this all day. We don't talk enough about coaches doing that. And I don't mean like you have to go coach um, Real Madrid or something, or it doesn't count. Like even almost especially you look at um, at gigs in Holland or Belgium um, or the Nordic countries, there are very good development areas there. Especially I mean, for coaches, and you're. I mean, and you're Greg, playing... Greg Berhalter did that. Like, I mean, Greg Berhalter coached in Sweden before this. I mean, if you heard his press conference from the Netherlands match, he talked about his time playing in the Netherlands and how much. I mean, he was listening to questions in Dutch and answering them in English. Uh, but he understands the tactics. I don't think, like, actually, like that would be a credit to U.S. soccer and hiring someone like Berhalter. That's not just an MLS experience. There. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I we we tag Greg with this a lot, and I don't think it's unfair, but. There's a chance if, you know, we got to talk about the like, hey, whatever we're going to do with the coach, what we're not going to do is like have an interim coach for the next 13 months. Like we might leave Greg in there and look towards um, hiring someone else or kind of like say, hey, you know, can you take this on for another year while you look for another job? That's a route that I don't think is terrible. Um, But what we're not going to do is put in an interim coach for 13 months. And I mean, there's a possibility greg was actually the best choice too i mean maybe not when we hired him but um 13 months before we hired him that might have been the right call but they have all this garbage baggage that goes with it that i think just muddles everything around and and people don't like it for for good reason but i mean who's who would be your first i mean we'll ignore jesse marsh because that's everybody's first name on the list but um who who's kind of an intriguing candidate for you seth um, I'll, I'll start off domestically and then we'll go abroad. I, I think um, Steve Trundolo, uh over at LAFC is a really interesting candidate. He's only been at LAFC for a year and obviously had some amazing players that helped him win an MLS Cup. But what really interests me about him, more so than the LAFC experience, is the fact that he was over at Hanover 609s and Hanover 96 um, for he was the captain over there um, as a player, then stayed over there, coached in their youth academies. And having someone who understands both American and European cultures in a way, it's like, yeah, you could be like, oh, well, Zidane's available. Yogi Lowe's available. I don't think, I guess, the U.S. Soccer Federation could afford to hire someone like these guys. Like, I, I have no doubt about it. But I, I think you have to have someone who is ready to who understands American culture enough to be able to do this and is someone who has um, coaching experience in both the U.S. and Europe, but someone who is willing to um, experiment a little bit. I mean, one of the things that was so fun to watch in LAFC this year wasn't necessarily fun from an Austin FC perspective, but is that like they could come at it that they knew how to run with depth. They knew how to change their lineup to make strategic subs and matches. They knew how to take it. They knew how to get the best out of their guys. And the manager wasn't such, I mean, Greg, for better or worse, I don't, the funny thing is I don't think he's a very ego-driven person. Maybe the media built him up to this, but they're talking about his shoes, just behind the bounce pass. Like, he was a larger-than-life character. On LAFC, you almost don't even remember that Steve Trundolo's there. He gets to a point of he's in the background and he lets the player shine and lets their narratives come through and is more of a game manager than anything else. And I think something like that's really appealing in this job. Yeah, and I I don't think the whole, like, Greg ego-driven thing is based in reality either. Like, yeah, he throws bounce passes. He has a shoe collection. He's kind of a, you know, he's a kind of fun guy, but that's not, like, Greg's not going out there like, why don't you guys talk about my shoes more or anything like that. Um, so you got to be fair to him there, too. I and, mean, uh, it, it, the, the funny thing is he had a, I think it was a local Chicago thing where someone was, 
running by him on the street uh, a few months ago and told him to go back to Columbus. And he was so encouraged by that. He's like, someone cares about this. And <laughs> it's just getting to a point of like, it, it's kind of fun to talk about this kind of stuff because like we're the people that care about this, but even the, of the average one of the 16 or 20 million people that were watching these group stage or knockout stage matches, most of them aren't getting into this kind of stuff. And at a point, you just need someone who is a successful game manager more than anything else in this role. Yeah, and I mean, I'd be totally fine with that. The other um, point I wanted to add about, uh, and it's not Burhalter necessarily, but U.S. soccer actually did do well, is identifying kind of, quote-unquote, foreign-born talent or people who you you wouldn't you know necessarily think of as you know, I was born in Indianapolis and I came up and I played at, you know, Notre Dame or wherever. Um, but um, branching out and finding all of these people who are eligible through these weird FIFA rules and folks like Yunus Musa, who kind of dropped through um, a weird time at Arsenal and started uh, out playing a fair amount of minutes at Valencia. And they went, thank you very much. And he's been he's been great for us. So I'm hoping we can find a few more gems like that. Um, but I, I want to make sure we got that in there because um there are some I know you have one in mind, Devin. Oh, I do. Uh, Braden does too. Flo Balligan, who I uh, we we have spent many many a an off air discussion <laughs> about playing for the U.S. I honestly would have loved to have had him in this twenty man twenty six man side. Yeah, I would Balligan have size him. hole in number nine. Yeah, I would have walked up to him and said, "You will start every game in this World Cup if you want to come play for us." And um, it sounds like they made some kind of an approach. I doubt it was that overt but um i, I think it's important to, to focus on some of the stuff u.s soccer has been doing well too and i mean Burhalter and, and, integrated and those I, guys and, and i do think flo balligan will be playing for the u.s in 2026 because i don't see a path for him into the england side and i think that he started sharing some stuff on social media he started getting into other things he sees an opportunity he ain't stupid i'm much more yeah, pessimistic I mean, on that <laughs> i am too but um yeah he yeah, he's a really interesting character, and maybe he's just going, hey, I'm young enough that maybe we'll see if my career super takes off, I'll play for England. If not, you know, I'll, I'm 24, I think, for the next World Cup. So he's he's got time to make that decision, and, uh, I, you know, maybe he just doesn't want to rush it, uh, which is totally commendable and respectable. Maybe he's looking at, um, hey, there's chance Ricardo Pepe made this choice, and he got left out of the squad, and now I'm kind of sitting here holding the bag, and, um, yeah. Um, I, I'm sure people noticed that, and I, I think Pepe was left off for good reason. But um, there, there are some careers that uh, that end up that Pepe's way. Where also, just sort of... Pepe's also 19 years old. Yeah, and you look at how many dual nationals did get to play for this team. I mean, you're, Jedi's a dual national. Cameron Carter, Vicker, Sergio Des, Yunus Musa. Like, there's plenty of dual nationals that are getting the opportunities here. I don't think that should be scaring anyone off at this point. But I hear where you're coming from. Yeah. Brayden, who do you have in mind as a, a coach? Seth, I know you had some other ones, but let's just start with a first name for her right now. Yeah. So I, I was looking through uh, who it, like possibly in the current like MLS setup might be interesting for it. And I'm really struggling to come up with names other than Chirondola. Like I, I do think Chirondola is a very uh, solid shout, but I, it's kind of kind of like what I was saying about Greg is I'd like to see them go to Europe and like be a, manager at a squad like fighting uh whether it's for europe well yeah europa league spots or or you know whatever success is for that club i'd, I'd like to see them go to that and maybe you know be a little more higher stakes first before 
Um, we go to Chirundolo, but yeah, there's not really a whole lot around MLS. So I'm I'm gonna throw one out there that's available and maybe doesn't have like we'll have options, but maybe not the best options out there. Um, I think a really interesting choice for this crop of U.S. players could be uh, Marcelo Bielsa. Like, I think that when you look at how aggressively all of our players press and, like, how that was a strong point of this team, I felt like, especially, like, if you look at the first half of the Wales game, we are 100% on top of them. And I think that they could do what Bielsa wants from a team very well and just kind of having... No, he's take, you know he's yeah. taking the Uruguay job, right? Is he? Oh, I haven't heard that, that yet official? either. Uh, I, I, it is. He's been strongly, strongly. Like, I, I'm pretty sure he's taking the Uruguay job. Okay. okay. Well, that's certainly disappointing. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I would. You know, I would there's no that way pitch. that Bielsa would be able to get through without like human rights violations for his practices and other things. Like <laughs> U.S. labor law would not allow. I, I remember. I remember when I was living in Argentina during the 2010 World Cup. He was the Chile manager, and he scheduled two friendlies in the same day and was dating the president of the country at the same time. Like, he's a larger-than-life character. But <laughs> I like where your head is at, but I, I don't see it happening. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. Like, if he goes to Uruguay, like, that's probably a very good hire for Uruguay as well. And, and probably makes a little bit more sense just with, you know, culturally, it's more similar than, like, taking on the mess that can be U.S. soccer at times. All right, so it's not Bielsa. Um, I, I don't know. Like, I, it's I'm gonna, I'm gonna, let, let, let me throw out a name that both of you might be interested in who is technically available, and I'm just going to let you guys submit it. What about Please Thierry? Please tell me Oh, no. No, absolutely not. Under no circumstances. <laughs> Explain um, more. I mean, I, I just don't think he's looked good at, in management wherever he's been. Like, I, I just don't think it's ended well wherever he's gone. Like, I don't see much that says, oh, I think he can be a very good manager based on previous uh, previous jobs. I I would say no, just for, for kind of what Braden said, even though I think he's had a little better record than maybe Braden said, but I don't think Thierry Henry would want to do this job for four years. Um, cause he's very nose to the grindstone, hard work, hard work, hard work, um, every day. And I don't think he would want to do that, uh, type of job where you only see the guys every few months. And, um, I, I think he would end up quitting before the world cup, uh, just out of frustration with the whole job. But, um, that's, that's my two cents. I'll throw one at you, Braden, while we're doing this, uh, Tata Martino. Uh, so I think it would make sense for the U S I, you know, look, as long as uh, we will always have a soft spot in Atlanta for Tata Martino, <laughs> like, like that's absolutely a thing for us. But I just look at, you know, how the Mexican team did and it just, and maybe there's issues with the Federation as a whole. Cause like, I know talking to some of my friends who support the Mexican team, like they were, uh, like they were hinting at like much wider issues than just like manager or anything with the team, just like, you know, kind of some controversy there, but uh, like I, I don't know enough to really speak to that. So maybe there's an argument that that was holding Martino back a bit, but I just was not really that impressed with 
kind of the kind of much around this uh, Mexican team. Like, I, I didn't think, like, the team spirit looked great. I didn't think, like, tactics looked that great overall. Like, I thought it was all kind of fine. Uh, and I know, I think Mexico had a decently tough group to get out of, but I was surprised kind of how they played in there. I, I wasn't that impressed. Yeah, it was very negative almost from the get-go. That um, I think it was Mexico-Poland game was, like, literally torture to watch. Um, <laughs> so I wouldn't want somebody who, at least from a national team level, and maybe it's different, right? Different job, different players, um, who would take that sort of negative approach. But I think those are kind of some of the names floating around. Uh, Seth, do you think there's any chance we hire somebody who doesn't have like a, let's call it like a U.S. nexus? Like we kind of mentioned Tata Martino, um, Thierry Henry. They've, um, I mean, Thierry was in Montreal. He played in MLS for a little bit, but they kind of have a connection to the U.S. We had Klinsman, uh, who lives in California. Uh, but do you think see, there's like a European coach, base coach who would, we would even look at? No, I mean, the next two names that we're going to throw out both have U.S. connections. Um, the one coach in CONCACAF who I would be interested in hiring would be Hugo Perez from El Salvador, who I think did a wonderful job with El Salvador in this cycle. El Salvador's player pool is not great. Hugo Perez played for the U.S. team at the 94 World Cup, um, is someone who is very familiar with our systems. I think at a minimum, if I was U.S. soccer, I'd hire him as an assistant to help because now um, – I mean, Luchi Gonzalez is going off to San Jose to take that job. So at a minimum, you have an assistant coach position that's open. If I were the U.S. soccer, I would throw a bunch of money at Hugo Perez. He might not be the guy to be the head coach yet, but to have him as a number two, especially working on developing Latino talent and understanding how a system works. I mean, those El Salvador teams, like, I mean, they're not that talented. Like Alex Roldan would not be close to making this 26 man roster, but like he was able to get a ton out of his guys and was really impressed by them um, throughout the CONCACAF cycle. Um, another name that um, just recently lost a job in Europe would be uh, Pellegrino Matarazzo, the New Jersey born uh, former coach of FB Stuttgart. Um, he did a pretty good job of Stuttgart, all things considered. I mean, he didn't get them up to power levels, but as someone who was a pretty solid club coach, and I think will get some interesting opportunities moving forward. Yeah, I think both of those would intrigue me at the very least. And uh, Braden, before we jumped out of air, you threw an interesting one at me. So uh, let's see what Seth thinks about this. Um, you threw Thierry Henry at us. We're going to throw uh, Arsene Wenger at you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Arsene Wenger's just old at this point. Like, yep. <laughs> it was Arsene Wenger like 10 or 15 years ago. Sure. I just think Arsene Wenger isn't, doesn't have the energy for this type of challenge at this point in his career. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think he's happy with his little office and just kind of doing generalized, well, wouldn't it be cool if we had this idea type of stuff? Um, and playing in friendly matches. So, I mean, apparently he looked pretty good in a friendly match a few months ago. So maybe he has a little more energy than you think. Um, uh, or... there, there, there's, there's energy and then being ready to do this. Yeah. Um, Brady, I mean, any thoughts on, on Arson? I, I mean, I would love it, obviously. Like, I, I think he would. Fangirl at every game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yes. Um, I. U.S. soccer think... could sell sleeping bags, and they would finally have uh, awesome merch for once. <laughs> Solve two problems, guys. I love it. Um, but more specifically, I, one of the things that would intrigue me about someone with a profile of Arsene Wenger um, is when we talk about needing to get these dual nationals on board, like, if you want to talk about going to get a Flo Balligan, like, 
someone like Arsene Wenger, Bielsa, like someone along those lines, I think it's going to have a more successful sales pitch to them than, you know, whether it's Terundolo. I mean, I, I think like Terundolo will be like a, a decent manager. Like, I, I think he is good, but there's kind of levels to this. Like, <laughs> like guys who are towards the top, like we're not going to get a tier, like a coach. We're not going to get a pep. We're not going to get a Don. We're not going to get like any of those guys. So I think everyone that we take is going to have works on them in one way or another. Uh, so I think it's just kind of like deciding, do we want to take the guy who maybe isn't as experienced and maybe has something to learn and maybe that hurts us? Like I kind of think it did against the other ones. Or do we take someone who's maybe even a little bit past it, like a Venger and kind of like last chance uh, saloon type thing. So I, I don't know, but I do wonder about like recruiting the dual nationals. If someone at a higher, like international profile would be very helpful for us there. Yeah. I mean, you start talking about the tier a coaches and I mean, Jurgen Klopp will be out of a job in a year or two at just his inevitable run. Like, do you try to convince someone like him? I mean, U.S. soccer has the money if they want to do it, but I would be again, surprised if we got a tier a coach like that, but you never know. You could get someone crazy enough to be like the U S is hosting the world cup. This could be my life legacy, that there is a slight chance that you could pull someone like that. Yeah, and I mean, that's going to kind of lead us into what my next question for you two. And Seth, you can go ahead and take the lead on this. Do we need a hire? Like, let's just say Greg's, um, you know, we get to choose when we when Greg's going. He's not going to decide on his own. Like, do we want to stick with Greg for a little bit while we figure this out? Um, do we need to, like, hire a coach by, you know, before 2023? Um, how do you see that? Um, the 2023 Gold Cup doesn't really matter in my eyes. The, just like all of them. Like- we say just like well, all hey, of them. I mean, in the pre-confederation, rest in peace, pre-confederation's cup. Yeah, as I was about to say. I mean, I, I don't know if I've ever been more excited about a win than the uh, 2009 win over Spain in the Confederations Cup. I mean, I would be. I've watched that match a few times, and it's still a miracle that we won that match. Just and we had a lead over Brazil in the final until they Brazilled oh. us. So, yes, I was uh, watching that over at a bar in New York City and uh, could not believe what I was watching before my eyes. And then um, then reality set in, set in the second half. But um, there's a um, – yeah, it's – I mean, I, I think it's going to be the big opportunities you're going to have. So it sounds like whoever's the U23 coach will likely coach the um, Olympic team because in 2024, you're going to have Copa America, which I assume we will be in, whether we're hosting or not. The U.S. will probably send a decent enough team to Copa America. Um, And then we'll probably play the Olympics. And the question is, how do you want to strategize that? Because we have so many of our talented players that are going to be Olympic eligible without using our top three. I mean, you're going to be able to use Geo. You're going to be able to use Pepe. You're going to be able to use Joe Scali. You're going to be able to use Eunice Musa. You're going to be, there's going to be a quite a deep talent pool. Uh, Gaga should be in goal for that. Like there's going to be, that could run out a really good team in the Olympics there. And I think that's really exciting to look at like, okay, maybe do we want to focus on that? I also think the U.S. should do something in the summer of 2025 where it's not quite Confederations Cup, but, like, host the tournament. We have enough. We, we, we might not have Qatar Airways money, but, like, hey, American United and Delta, you're all going to throw in a bunch of money for us to host some 
eight to 16 team tournament to help prepare for the World Cup here. Yeah, we'll invite Canada and Mexico as well. But we need to make sure that we get quality matches here. And maybe we can convince ourselves to walk in, walk into the new UEFA Bowl Nations League for the next couple of years. Like, I think it's just going to be, I don't think 2023 is important, but I think 24 and 25 are really important to have the manager who's going to be managing in 26. I'd like to add one point to that as far as when we hire a manager, because I think it matters uh, who it is. Uh, So if we're getting kind of a more experienced national team manager, I I think we can kind of hire them later in the cycle and it's fine. If we do go with someone like Chirundolo, I think that uh, that Copa could be absolutely critical. And so I would want him I would want him kind of settled in the job, not just like, oh, you get it at the end of 23, here's six months to um, get it sorted, that sort of thing. Like, I I would want him pretty much settled and ready to – kind of ready to attack that tournament because I think especially for managers who it's their first job, I think having – you can't replace – you can play as many friendlies as you want. You just cannot replace high-level – competitive matches like when it comes to getting the experience of making the key decisions and and things that have like actual jeopardy i i think that you just can't replace it so i would like us to see us take copa very seriously and i'd like to see us send um you know have our manager in as good a position as possible going into that yeah i agree it definitely depends on like who you're hiring when you hire them um and I don't. I think it was the Uruguay coach that I was watching during the World Cup, and the dude just looked like he'd never seen a game before. Um, like he was scared to do anything or give instruction or anything. I mean, and it did was... you see him manage at Inter Miami? I mean, it's amazing. You could fail in the MLS and end up with a Condon Bowl job. Like, I'm not quite sure how that worked out. Gotta love failing upwards. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think you raised um, a couple of good points. So. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the Olympics, uh, we qualified for the first time in forever. It's an under-23 tournament, and you're allowed to carry three overage players. Um, overage, obviously, being um, over the age of 23. So um, a lot of the times you'll see, like, a grizzled veteran or somebody who's almost done, like, a, a retirement kind of track, and they'll just take them along, and it'll be a fun thing. Um, I know, Braden, you have a different answer to this than I do. If you have to pick, are you prioritizing COPA, or are you prioritizing the Olympics? Uh, so for me, I'm prior, prioritizing Copa. I, again, just the I, – I think you can't substitute not just for the coach, but also the players going in and having to figure it out in a competitive match. There's just not really a substitute for it. Like, you need to do it as a unit. And I, I think especially – you know, we can talk about the Gold Cup all we want. Like, hopefully we could – I, I know the Gold Cup often invites teams um, to participate as well. Like maybe we can see if we can step up um, and add a little more quality than like Qatar was one of the invitees last time and cut to a semifinal. Um, and and, but, and they're, they're back for 2023. Yeah. Uh, so like I would like to see us um, – anything that we could do to have more, you know, competitive reps – to see different problems and have to figure them out, I think will be better for us. I'm, I'm going to take the other side of this. I think, well, I, I, with a caveat. So if the U.S., Canada, Mexico, and some iteration of that host Copa America, Copa America is the priority. 
If Copa America ends up being in Ecuador, where I think it's supposed to be, but the Ecuadorian government doesn't have the stadiums ready in place, so it probably won't be in Ecuador. It's kind of crazy to me that there's a major tournament taking place in a year and a half, and we have no clue where it's going to be. But um, Cotton Bowl, they might be more disorganized than CONCACAF. Um, but there's a... Um, as going through that, if we are a guest team in a tournament, clubs are not required to release their players. So if clubs aren't required to release their players, then the Olympics becomes the priority because clubs are required to release their players for the Olympics. Does that include the over-23s or those club options? Uh, I believe for the three over-23s, you can get them to – I mean, actually, that'd be really – I'd be a fun exercise. It's probably for a whole other podcast, but who would be the three people you would choose at that point? And I think it's too early to answer that question. But also, you're going to be playing in France for that tournament, so you might want to choose three European-based players already for that tournament who wouldn't have to travel as far, but you probably have some pretty great atmospheres. I mean, they're going to be at Parc des Princes. They're going to be at Lyon. They're going to be at Marseille and Bordeaux. You're going to have some wonderful venues for that tournament as well. So that I think there is definitely, and a lot of these teams have really good under, and the fact that like, if you want to see a side of the U.S. winning something, like if you have bring a top U.S. side with three really strong overage players, like a meddling is a real possibility. And like meddling for the U.S., having a major positive U.S. soccer result for the general public does a huge thing for changing the nature of this game in the country. Yeah, and I mean, especially like uh, your your average person who watches soccer in this country is not it's probably anybody who knows as much as, you know, obviously anybody on this podcast, anybody who listens to this podcast, like even the people on like Fox Sports doing the broadcast, like you tell them like, hey, you know, we did great in the Olympics. They don't know all the nuances and the details. They're like, oh, wow, that's great. Aren't we, you know, hosting the World Cup? Yeah, well, this is a good stepping stone. Da, 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 da. So I'm kind of on your page too. Like, uh, let's go win something if we have to um <laughs> Uh, or at least place, I guess, medal. Um, let's go win something if we have to really like split between the two. I also wonder, with that being in France, if that's not a good way to maybe pick off a couple younger players towards us, Flo Balogun again, um, and say, hey, you know, we got this great team, and you get to play with whoever you want to pick for your over 23s. And, um, you know, Tim Weah might be a good guy, like, hey, you want to go play with uh, Tim Weah, who, you know, he's already based in France. So, um, I don't know. I don't know what those spreadsheets look like of people who are up and coming or anything like that. Um, but I think there's a lot of opportunity here, and and we should be excited, right? Yeah. So I, I'm trying to be on a on a high note. Like I know the the game was disappointing, and our overall World Cup was, like we said, fine. But I think everything's looking up for the future. Um, so do you do you basically like wash out kind of your Tim Reams and some of the older players and and start anew, or do you kind of play your 2023, um, you know, just building out from there? And I, I assume Tim Reed's going to retire either way, but um, maybe kind of some of the older players that were, were backups, your Kellen Acosta's or so. I know he's not old, old, but um, DeAndre Edlins, those kind of guys, like, do you still give them shots or are you just build in as young as possible right now, Braden? My opinion on national team in general is you should pretty much always take the best team that you can. Uh, I, I I don't really believe that players do that much development in the national team. They mostly do it with their clubs. And I think it needs to remain an incentive and a goal to get to the national team. And so if you're kind of giving these opportunities to young players just because they're young, I think some of that motivation to get to the national team, I don't want to say it goes away, but it's just like – 
it, it's when it's not guaranteed and you really have to earn your way there. I think it, I, I think it's better for everyone involved to feel like it's a real meritocracy. And if you do the work and you perform at the club level, you're going to get picked. I, I think that is generally the best scenario for the national team. Is that really something we can claim though, with how often we play like a B team in the gold cup and the weird little January camp, that's basically like uh, you know, largely MLS, like, Hey, let's all meet each other. Maybe you'll be on the real national team one day thing. Um, yeah, so but that, I don't, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I was just saying, I don't think like anyone counts the January camp really. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. Yeah, but, but 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 I want to see Brandon Vasquez in there. I want to see how he does there. There's a few other players here. It's like okay, I want to see how you do against um, B side US against B side Serbia and B side Colombia. Okay, let's 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 give them a look and see how they how they are out there. Yeah, fine, that's something. And you know, maybe he goes out and he scores four goals, and you go, okay, we can give this guy a bigger tryout. But he yeah, goes I don't out know. There and... Ferreira scored four goals against Grenada, and that did us a lot of good on Saturday. Yeah, a lot of people got mad at me because I, I was at that game and I I got harangued repeatedly for saying I thought he had a bad game and people were like, oh, yeah, well, he had four goals. Like, well, he should have had ten. Um, and, I mean, yeah, you didn't have a bad game or anything. He scored four goals. But I, I, I watch those games, I think, a little differently than other people. And they're like, oh, yeah, no, this is great. It'll help. And I'm looking at these games going, this guy, like, missed, like, five sitters. If he does that in the World Cup, we're screwed. And, I mean, I don't think he missed five sitters or anything against Holland, but um, – those are the concerns that I look at those games. And I mean, it's fun to win the gold cup and the nation's league. If that hasn't folded yet, I don't even pay attention to it. Um, and it's good to get like competitive games in there, but I look at every U S soccer game as, can you help us in a world cup? I don't know if you guys are any different. I don't know if I'm quite at that point yet. Maybe I was okay, yeah. of this cycle, but like at a certain point, like you need to have time for people to develop. And yeah, I agree. They do most of their developing on the club rather than on the national team, but some people rise up to the moment. I mean, Richarlison is never going to be for Spurs, what he is for Brazil. Thank fuck to that. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say that'd be terrifying on the other side of North London. But it is like some players come to rise to the moment, and others don't. And it's just trying to figure out like where where those are at at the moment. And it is, um, I mean, even even Christian Pulisic looks better for the U.S. national team because he's in a better system than he is at Chelsea. Yeah, but well, it's part of that's yeah. the death knell of Chelsea right now. But. <laughs> Uh, whatever. Chelsea's having plenty of minutes being used up in this World Cup. But there's a, um, I, I, I get to a point here where it's, you want to get exposure to as many people as possible. And right now you want to see like, okay, we want to have a case where we, we talked earlier on this podcast that we felt comf- really good about 13 guys on this roster. I want to have a kid situation where I feel really good about 40 guys come May of 2026. And then we're heartbroken that we have to leave 14 of them off. Yeah, I absolutely want to be at a point where we're like, there is gnashing of teeth and rending of garments over who the last guy on the roster is. Like, you look at Brazil and people are losing their shit that Gabby Gold didn't get on the team over, you know, Anthony or Martinelli or somebody like that. And I want it to be like a real, like a, maybe not like a national emergency like it is in Brazil when they're having this discussion. But like, we're not going, yeah, I guess that guy's fine. Like, whatever, he does a job. Um, For a lot of these spaces, like we were, uh, we kind of talked about like Jordan Morris against, um, a few players and it's just like well you know fine whatever like I don't think it's gonna end up being a huge thing Braden, where are you at yeah I mean I'd love to see us get to that point as well um, I think we're a good little ways away from it but I think we're moving in the right direction and um, 
As far as the like Gold Cup Nations League goes, I, I mean, you're in those, so you might as well win them. Like, <laughs> like we do get so precious few like meaningful matches at the, you know. Yeah, at the U.S. national team level, like it's kind of like when we play Mexico and hopefully Canada now. Like, hopefully, we're starting to get a few more um, legitimate, uh, uh, legitimate opponents that we can actually learn something and grow from. Um, but yeah, like you're you're in these, you might as well win them. Like, I, I would, I I enjoy seeing us go there, and I don't necessarily take great, um, I, I don't take a ton away from them. Like, I, I do kind of look at it like you do, Devin, where it's like performances are one thing but it's like do do i see something that says like yes i can do this in the world cup um i I do look at that but hey you know it's nice to win a shiny trophy and you know the gold trophy is underrated just like as a trophy like like that's just (laughs) just a huge fucking like gold cup It's, it's great so yeah win it yeah and i don't mean to say like we don't get anything out of that like i think the combination gold cup nations league weird smashed schedule we had last year got us okay matt turner is our number one or matt turner plus zach stefan um eventually shakes out to be turner like there's definitely stuff we can get out of those games but i just don't it's not like playing in the euros or anything like that um at least to me where it's like oh my god this is a huge trophy and it's it's a big deal um but yeah like if we're playing in them let's win them like put out a good team let's do it um seth anything you want to add there yeah i mean i think i mean one of the things that we haven't seen the schedule for the Gold Cup yet. So we, besides um, Cutter, we actually don't know if there's going to be any other guest teams in the tournament. I hope that they're playing them in the venues that we're getting to play in. Like, yes, like for qualifying, playing in MLS stadiums made a lot of sense. But at a certain point, like, I want us to be playing games at Gillette. I want us to be playing games at Lincoln Financial Field in Philly. I want us to be playing games in Seattle. I want us to be playing a majority of the friendlies in the next cycle, friendlies or Gold Cup or Copa America, in the NFL-style stadiums that we're going to be playing in the 2026 World Cup. Even if they're filled with fans from Mexico or El Salvador or Honduras or whatever, like, we need to be playing – first of all, the U.S. Soccer Federation will make a bunch of money that way. But, like, we also need to be prepared to be able to play in these type of venues. And let's get some of the best teams in the world to come here for friendly so we can sell them out to 80, 20 U.S. crowds. I mean, one of the best soccer experiences I've experienced in this country was going to the Copa America semifinals in 2016 between the U.S. and Argentina. And we had a 90% pro-U.S. crowd in Houston at NRG Stadium, which is going to be one of the venues that's hosting the World Cup. And doing this in Atlanta, doing this at Jerry World, making sure that we have – like the U.S. team should play a match in every single venue in the United States that is hosting the World Cup in the lead up to this cycle. And if we don't do that, that's shame on us. Yeah, that's a really good point. I hadn't even gotten that far yet. But I mean, you especially look at like how much we pay for these USA game tickets and, you know, even like a big European team. I think it'll be easier to get a South American team. But um, you think we're going to go, hey, look at this giant payday and they won't, you know, fly over to, to play us. We We absolutely should do that. And and try to make them as meaningful and basically dry run like what you were getting at as as possible. Um, did we finalize the list of venues already? Or are we still? Yeah, we have, we have finalized the list of venues. So we're going to have 11 venues in the U.S. that will be hosting matches. Um, going west to east on it, we'll have Seattle um, over at uh, Lumen Field, um, which actually is an MLS venue there, but um, a little different than the terrible MLS venues there. Uh, you have the uh, 49er Stadium down in Santa Clara, Levi's. Um, SoFi will be hosting. Um, SoFi is hosting the Gold Cup final um, this cycle, which um, we do know 
Um, then moving east from there, we'll have uh, Jerry World at AT&T Stadium in Arlington. We'll have NRG in Houston of Arrowhead in Kansas City. And then we have five East Coast venues um, going south to north um, in Miami over at Hard Rock, um, over in Atlanta at Mercedes-Benz at um, the Lincoln Financial Field in Philly, MetLife in the Meadowlands, and Gillette in southeastern Massachusetts. Okay. Uh, and we're only going to, like, the thought right now is we would only be playing U.S. venues, right? Yeah, I don't see, because they've already said that quarterfinals and beyond would be in the U.S. Um, so I don't think, I mean, I guess there's a small world, I mean, where we could play at BMO Field or at um, BC Place, but those are both, um, which are called MLS venues that a bunch of the guys will have played at, Um I mean, I would hope that we would play one match at the Azteca um, in the next few years just to play a match at the Azteca, because why not? Uh, but at least a lot of the guys have had experience playing at the Azteca. I don't think we'll have experience playing at the Estadio BBVA in Monterrey or um, at the Chivas Stadium in Guadalajara. But uh, you don't need to have experience playing in all of those. But I think scheduling 11 friendlies as getting excited for the World Cup, making sure that the grass fields are ready, things like that is something that should absolutely be done. And if U.S. soccer doesn't do that, shame on them. Yeah, no horrible pitches like we had in Las Vegas a couple of years ago. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that's we, we, we don't talk enough about it either. But like uh, the grounds crews and every all of the logistics and all of the stuff that's been like a fucking nightmare in uh, Qatar. You know, I, I know we have a lot more experience doing huge events here because, you know, you could pick 10 states and they could host the World Cup on their own. But um, having dry runs for that sort of stuff is helpful, too. Um, I feel like we've been ignoring you for a little bit here, Braden. Do you have anything you want to add? No, I was going to say, like, kind of one of the things that I see as a potential issue for that. It's just um, all the stadiums that you mentioned that have turf. And, yeah. you know, maybe it maybe it is that we need to get some experience with um you know, are are we able to properly get in grass for you know, for this match and that sort of thing? But I also wonder if that's going to be something we're going to be able to make happen in an international break window. Um, like I know you can lay down sod quickly, like that's not hard, but it it ends up with these terrible pitches, like Devin mentioned. Like it's just not that great, and I. I'm interested to see how we make that work. Um, Cause when, when I think about like some of the schedules, uh, Mercedes Benz, for example, like it's a NFL stadium and MLS venue um, plays on artificial turf. Like, like I don't know how many windows there are. Maybe, maybe that's a January camp option. Cause like by the end of January, uh, you won't have a, uh, you all, the Falcons won't be playing, obviously. Um, <laughs> oh, or cell phone, you know, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it, so, like, the Falcons won't be playing, and you would have enough time to, like, lay sod, have it settle in, and that sort of thing. But I, I think these are things that U.S. soccer need to be thinking of. Like you mentioned, like, it's not just, you know, going to these venues. It's also a dry run for all these venues to make sure they're fully prepared with all their plans and everything for it, so... Are we still going to get yeah. cheap concessions for the World Cup? Um, I am not sure. Like, if I remember correctly, the ticket – so when the MLS Cup was here, because we couldn't get tickets from Atlanta. Like, it's an MLS uh, event. So, um, like, it's weird things for, like, season ticket holders and that sort of thing. Um, 
but I want to say all the concessions were still run by like Mercedes Benz, and so there was still the like five. At that point, I think it's five dollar beers, but I think there's been some inflation there since. Um, but yeah, I, hopefully it's still cheaper concessions. That's better than well, eighteen dollar jellyfish. Seth, go ahead. I was going to sure. say I, I I did not pay nineteen dollars for an IPA at SoFi for the Super Bowl, but that's a whole nother story. Um, there's I was just looking it up here while we had some time. Only four of the eleven stadiums in the MLS currently have grass fields, and that's Arrowhead, Levi's, and Santa Clara Hard Rock. Um, down in Miami Gardens, and then um, the link in Philly. So, like, that's seven fields that we're going to have to lay down. And then also, um, what you call it, BC Place is the same thing in Vancouver because it's a mostly indoor stadium there. So it's going to be, yeah, I mean, I think we need to have some practice laying down. Yeah, it's going to be expensive for U.S. soccer, but if they're selling out these stadiums, they can pay for that. I mean, if Charlotte was willing to pay for that for just a Chelsea-friendly, I mean, Heck, U.S. soccer should be willing to pay for this and test it out and see the good, bad, and ugly of this. Yeah, um, I'm excited to see how all this unfolds. Um, I think we kind of beat this horse pretty well um, today. I'm sure we'll be back to talk about it as uh, things unfurl a little bit more. But, um, Seth, what was your biggest moment of suffering from the World Cup? The biggest moment of suffering was knowing that our striker issue was still our striker issue and just like, oh, we're down 2-1 to the Netherlands. Oh, wait a minute. We have no one who can score a goal unless it's a mistake. Oh, shit. And that's yeah. where we suffered. Yup. Braden? <laughs> Fucking deli blend. Like, just that. <laughs> yeah. I'm still upset he's younger than me. I haven't gotten over that. Um, yeah. I think... Um, mine is watching uh, Denzel Dumfries' hand go up when we had just pulled that goal back and going, oh, there's nobody on the ball. There's nobody, like, within 20 yards of this guy. This is going to get bad. Um, so we all had a similar theme, and uh, we were all in the same game. So that's good. Um, yeah, I mean, there were some rough ones. The the Hachi right one that we kind of mentioned isn't, isn't a bad shout either. Um, Walker Zimmerman giving away that penalty is an easy one. Um, Plenty of suffering to go around, but uh, anything else you guys want to add before we get out of here? Let's just make sure that we have at least two guys that can play every position come 2026. Yeah, it's just that simple. Like, I know. Come really. on, guys. Hurry up. I mean, they just grow trees, we'll do right? Do. Yeah. Yeah, we'll just clone Anthony Robinson and put him, like, you know, five different places and we'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anything from you, Braden? Yeah, not really. Just uh, kind of excited to wrap up the World Cup, uh, at least from a U.S. perspective here, and get back to you know focusing on uh, club football, which is also moments of suffering with Gabby Jesus news. But yeah, you know it, it's it'll be fun. So I, I'm I'm happy to kind of get this behind us. It was a fun time in the World Cup. I, I really liked a few things that the U.S. did, but um, you know, onward four years. It's at home. If Russia can get to a quarterfinal with that terrible team that they had, like we they can had do a striker. Things. <laughs> um, yeah, I think there's a lot of good cause for optimism. So um, I, I think we want to we want to end on that note. But um, I guess what are you most looking forward to, Seth? Let's be optimistic here. Um, I mean, I'm really looking forward to just. I mean, 
we have a lot of really young talent and not just young talent that played in this World Cup, but we were talking earlier about the Olympics, like trying to see these guys. Let's see who shows up in January camp. Let's see if anyone can figure out how to watch any of these games in January camp. But um, just making sure that like we have an opportunity here and let's not blow it. But this is a Suffering from Joy podcast, so I'm sure there will be lots of suffering involved. Uh, if we didn't care a ton, we wouldn't be suffering. Um, <laughs> Braden, anything for you? Yeah, I think it's the same thing. It's young players. It's hopefully finding a solution at striker. And, you know, there's some options there. Like, Pepe is young. Like, Haji Wright isn't that old. Like, these guys can still get a little better. So, um, there's a Daryl DK out there who, who may continue to develop. So, he's I, too happy. He's 10 years old. He's only yep. 22. Yeah, so, like, I I think there's, like, as much as we malign the current striker position, I, I think that there's reason for optimism around a lot of areas. So I'm just excited to see how they develop um, and excited to hopefully see an improvement on, and I don't mean this as a, as a slight towards Greg, but, like, to see an improvement on uh, kind of some of the backroom stuff and maybe take it a little bit more, okay, we, we've kind of, sorted ourselves out after the debacle in Trinidad and Tobago. And like, now we're back to being serious again. So like, let's do the serious thing and and make a progressive hire. Yeah. I I think that's a good idea. I'm just, um, I'm looking forward to having more of these people that I've never heard of show up and just like blow the world away. Cause that's always a good, uh, good time for me. Um, Seth, we did MLS schedules on the 15th of December. Yeah, we get MLS schedules on the 15th. Um, one of the things I'm looking forward to in the next nine days, and I hope we get in the next nine days, is figuring out what the MLS's linear TV deal is going to be like. Because I think Apple will do a world of wonder for this league, but you still do need to have some cable and network TV presence. And it's kind of crazy to me that we haven't gotten an announcement on that yet. And especially if you want to build up the momentum of this World Cup, like I hope that the opener between um, the LA Galaxy and LAFC, which is supposed to be at the Rose Bowl, which I assume will sell out the place with over 90,000 people, um, which would be a record for the league. Like I want that match on Fox or on ABC or especially on Univision. Like you want to have the exposure, not just on Apple TV for this. So I, I will be really curious if we hear an announcement on that. I would hope for that to come tomorrow or Thursday, but it's MLS, so it probably won't happen. Yeah, we uh, we are at MLS's mercy. Well, I'm sure we'll have you back on to to talk about some of that stuff when the dust settles a little bit. Uh, don't forget to follow Braden on Twitter at TFA Braden. Um, follow us at Suffering Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Um, if you want to go back to the last podcast, I discussed how you could get a signed glamour shot of our dog, um, Philip J. Fryington the Third Esquire, the official corgi of the Suffering from Joy podcast. Um, basically, just email us, sfjpodcast at gmail.com, a um, screen cap of your Apple uh, podcast review. Um, please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe us. Uh, the reviews really help us out generating SEO and people finding the show. Um, and I think that's all the stuff I'm supposed to say right at the end. So uh, thank you very much for suffering with us. Bye. Promise here for Austin Jarrett Stroud. It's Diego for goodness. He has written his name into Austin folklore. They just... It's impossible. The Bears' season's going to end on a double doink. Altidore squares it. Dempsey's missed it. Donovan has it. From hope, there is glory. 